What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and I'm here with a special guest. Uh, I mean, she kind of caught my attention because I was like, oh, this person looks kind of creative and pretty cool. Uh, she is a DJ. She is uh, also a media person. She has her own magazine called Pineapple Express and she also uh, works in Nova Scotia, born and raised in Nova Scotia. So definitely uh, somebody that's really cool to talk to. Kayla Warden, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Uh, it's not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, happy Mother's Day if you're a mother or if you're siblings or not. I'm auntie. I'm auntie. Okay, great. <laughs> so happy, happy aunt day, I guess. There's, 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 there's probably one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so, there's okay. a auntie. Aunt, I think there is an auntie day. <laughs> Hallmark got to get that money somehow. They right. gotta get that money. So, so that those cards. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Like, where were you raised, and and how was your childhood like? Yeah, um, yeah, I was raised for 15 years of my life in Spryfield. Um, so that's in Halifax. Um, was raised there from. I was pretty much born until I was 15. So. My parents moved to Dartmouth in 2000 and I'm going to say 2000 in the 2000s sometime, I'm going to say, and um, been on the rest, been in Dartmouth for since then, actually. Nice. So talk about what I'm in Moncton, New Brunswick, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with Halifax and Nova Scotia, but talk people how how is Spryfield like what what kind of a neighborhood is that in, in Halifax? Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up in that neighborhood, it was pretty busy, um, pretty, pretty, pretty busy. It was, um, I felt like it was more diverse when I was living there at that time um, with um, like more so black people. Um, and um, it was predominantly a mix between black and white people. Um, I felt like there was like drug wars going on but my, I felt like my parents kept us away from that type of stuff. Um, as a kid though, it was more so for me, it was quiet. I got to hang around, uh, go to the park. I was able to like walk around the neighborhood. I was able to walk to school and stuff like that. Um, so it was, it, was, it was quiet from a kid's perspective. But when I got older and found out how it was like infected with like, there was a lot of crack kids there, a lot of, um, prostitution and stuff like that. And I didn't, I didn't know that as a child figuring that or finding that out when I got older, I was like, wow, I didn't know that that was an environment that I was living in at that time. Yeah. That that's kind of cool that your parents did that. I mean, uh, I was a sheltered kid too. Like whatever was happening outside my mom, I grew up with a single mom. So she tried to kind of shelter me out of the things and then when i same as you when i grew up i was like whoa what is all of this happening here like what's going on but the the cool thing about that is when you uh you said that you know was pretty diverse a lot of people may not know that halifax has some predominantly black neighborhoods uh oh. sort of so, sort of like enough precedent stuff like that and and your neighborhood was very diverse which is which is kind of cool like uh not that's that's kind of uncommon in the rest of Atlantic Canada. Like if you go to PI or if you go to 
uh, Newfoundland, you're not going to find that. The only place you probably would find out is some places in Nova Scotia. Uh, so diversity was kind of normal for you. So for some people of color, it's not really in, in Atlantic Canada, which is which is pretty cool. In certain areas, for sure. Uh, don't get it twisted, though. It's, it's still definitely racist here um, in, in those terms. But like Nova Scotia, we have 50 predominantly Black communities. So um, we're, we're one of the biggest um, province that has um, uh, that amount of uh, um, Black communities, um, especially like Black loyalists, Jamaican Maroons. Um, there was Af there was Africville that you know is just a park now with the, the museum there. Um, like you said, North Preston, East Preston, Cherrybrook, Lake Loon, Beachville, um, Shelburne. Like the list, the list, the list definitely goes on um, of uh, black excellence down here in, in Nova Scotia. What do you think that doesn't get showcased as much? Like for example, myself, I had to learn that. I was like, whoa, there's like there's black people here, <laughs> like, like, and there's a lot of it. It's not a whole lot, but it doesn't get showcased as much. What do you think is that? Um, a lot of gatekeeping, a lot of white uh, supremacy. Um, you know, when people come here, they're like, um, like they're they're like Nova Scotia is great and everything like that. But like, as a person of color. I've a lot of friends that has come here from spe specifically Toronto from the Caribbeans and they talk about how racist is here in Nova Scotia. And honestly, the thing is like, you don't really, as a, a black person living in Nova Scotia and your parents like trying to keep you away from that stuff. And like you growing up with like black friends and stuff like that, like it's kind of, you don't really see that unless you're put into predicaments that, that brings that up. Because um, there's an example, um, I was dating this guy and we were just going to the fair down in Eastern Passage. Um, and this guy just out of nowhere was like, go back, to, go, uh, said to the guy, go back where you come from. And I'm like, what? Like, this guy lives here. He's from Nova Scotia. That happened to a friend of mine. Uh, she's, a, she's a Muslim, uh, born and raised third generation Muslim in Nova Scotia, actually. They, I think they probably lived in uh toronto the first generation and they told her like go back where you come from and she's like where halifax <laughs> like, right, that's, right. That's, like it's it, it and i think it's a you know I, I think it's part of the white privilege right it's like like when you when you're when you see all of the people around you that they're white uh you know you think that's that's how the world is that's how everything is but once uh other people don't want to accept that well that's really not what the world is it's full of different people cultures and things like that so uh i definitely un understand the way you come from so you said that you grew up in in halifax and then you moved to dartmouth dartmouth's in the other side like that's in the, on the other on the side, other of, the side of the river yeah so i say I'm from both sides of the bridge so, so how was dartmouth like like i've been there and it's it, it could be it, it's quite a, an area because it's quite beautiful in some places but there's some places that are like not that nice. And I'm like, whoa, what what the hell just happened here? There was like woods and nature, and this is like rundown places. So so talk talk about us a little bit about grow, being there. Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Um yeah, it's so weird that um how the two different areas, um, Halifax to Dartmouth, they say that um 
the dark side is because we don't we're not lit up like Halifax. If you're looking from Halifax to Dartmouth, you don't really see as much lights as you would if you were to look uh, to Halifax from Dartmouth. So that's how I could see people calling it the dark side. Um, it was def it's definitely different, the different um, environments for sure. Cause I live, so I've lived in South Woodside, which is not, which is closer to Eastern Passage. Um, and then I went to school in the North End. So I went to Dartmouth High with all the people that lived in the North, in the North End, like Highfield, um, I guess Leahy Road, Albro Lake. So those were um, predominantly uh, Black areas, Black communities. Um, so it was very diverse in that sense. Um, I felt like people were more rough, rougher than they were in Halifax. Um, although really? I'm a, I'm a type of person that I like... Like I always hung out with everybody and anybody, honestly. So I always got along with most people. Um, but yeah, I felt like Dartmouth was a little bit more rougher than Halifax for sure. I always heard that. Like, like I heard that the same thing uh, that Dartmouth is a little bit of a rougher place. And uh, uh, why do you think is that? Like, what is it? Poverty? Is it just the people? Is it something in the water? What's going on there? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it is definitely. Property because they have like there's a lot of um or um communities that are low income housing right and I mean same same as Halifax like as soon as you get across the bridge there's Godigan Godigan the square where that's low income housing and then once you get across the bridge there's um Jellybean Square so it's a whole nother um low income house project project houses. And then not too far from that is uh, another community that's low income housing. So I feel like it's like all in all in uh, areas that are run by low um, income housing. And I feel like there's not much that happens in Dartmouth either. So people get up, people get up to mischief. There's nothing mm. happening. There's nothing happening for the kids and stuff like that. I feel like they try with the community centers because there is a big brothers, big sisters. They also have um, a community center that's in the library, but there's not as much happening for children at the, I want to say, and teenager from, from your 15, 15 to 19, there's not that much happening in Dartmouth. Oh, really? Now, now that's kind of interesting because, I mean, that's where you start getting into trouble. That that age is when you actually start kind of yeah. doing things. And and when when you say that it, it's uh you know poverty brings crime. That's that's usually I don't care anywhere you go in the world. That's usually how it is. Uh, but when you say that there's nothing for kids to do, like when you're in the in the in that age that you're trying to kind of to find out what do you want to do. Like what, what you want to fit in. I think that's, that's very important. So how did you deal with that as a teenager when you were 15? Like what, what did you do? What did I do? Honestly, I worked and I went to school. I worked and I went to there school. I um, grew up watching my parents um, work their butt off. And I was like, when I got to a certain age, I was like, you know, I just want to make money for my own self. And if I can help my parents, I will. So yeah, I worked and I went to school. Um, 
and I was really close with um, family that went to the same school with me. So like, I didn't really get myself into too, too much trouble. Um, I was a good, I think I was not a bad kid in high school. What, what was your first job? Like, what was your first job that you ever had? Yeah, I was a cleaner. I was cleaning, I was cleaning buildings. Wow, that's a, for a 15 year old kid cleaning buildings? Yeah, absolutely. So it was just like, you know, emptying the garbage, dusting, like, you know, those things in um, offices. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Usually I, I would say it would like a McDonald's or something like that, like fast food or I don't know, like usually kids get into supermarkets. I don't know, something, things like that. So so what do you think you learned on that? Like having a, a job uh, really early when you were like when you were a teenager, what, what do you think you learned from that? Um, responsibility, um, the value of money. Um, yeah. And, and just like, I guess like kind of like time management a bit. Cause I honestly, now I feel like my time management management is not as good as it, as it used to be. <laughs> really? How, how come like you were more like more time managed when you were a teenager than now? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think it's because I was on a schedule. Now I feel like I'm older. I kind of can make my own my own schedule and work at my own time. So I'm kind of I'm kind of lean way with it. Oh wow that that is actually you know what I I mean totally the opposite. I'm I'm just getting organized with my time as I'm getting older because I I find I have less of it and I I kind of value it more than before. When I was a kid, I was like, eh, it is what it is. Like. Let's just run by. But now I'm, I'm I kind of want to uh, like get a schedule and a calendar and all that stuff. It's like, oh, this is adulting. Like, OK, like I got to get all of that. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, there is some of that that you that you need to do. But I'm, I feel like if you kind of like can make your own schedule, you can balance it out. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think it's a it, it's kind of important that you kind of bounce it out sometimes because sometimes you're like you realize like, what the what happened? What the fuck happened with time here? Like, what did I do all day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it goes like that. So tell me, how did you get into all these other creative things that you do? Because the, the one, one thing that I captivated me about you is like you're a DJ, uh, you you DJ. I, I saw you mix. So you you're like a hip hip hop DJ. Is your main it's your main thing, or what do you usually mix? Um, yeah, dancehall, Afrobeat, hip hop, R and B. Um, I feel like in different cultural music because um, I have a best friend, my best friend, they're Punjabi. So like we like to mix hip hop and and uh, Punjabi music together. We used to actually DJ together. Shout out to uh, DJ Five Rivers. So where do you showcase that? Because I mean, here in New Brunswick, we have like one Afro club. Like they just said, we have one. That's it. We we just have one that we play that and everything else is like top four. Like where, where do you? How do you, where did you get to showcase that? Like, how, how did that came about? Yeah, honestly, so um, I used to throw my own uh, showcase. So um, have emerging, a local emerging artists coming up, specifically, P, usually POCs. Um, and I was doing a showcase at the, the Halifax local. Um, I was doing um, an all- um, all black artist showcase and um, I was like I've been wanting to pick up um, a DJ console for a minute and um, I eyed it for a whole year and then I finally picked it up 
I was playing it for a little bit and then I was doing the showcase and I was like, you know what, there needs to be music in between because I'm so used to going to a lot of shows where when they have a showcase, they don't have music that's playing for um, urban artists, for hip hop artists, for R&B artists. They're playing like this rock and roll music or this indie music that doesn't even go with who's showcasing. So I, I just like I just picked it up and started going from there. Wow, that's pretty cool. So you, you did shows, you, you did your own shows before. Is that something that you you did you you were into as well before DJing? Yeah, absolutely. So um actually the way that I started um in this whole world of music, um I was I started off promoting with uh, one of my best friend's uncles. So he was um bringing people here um to have concerts like it was the first person that we did was um I want to say Life Jennings was it Life Jennings I think it was Life Jennings we brought he he came down here and I was the the run person I had to um like the get everything for the rider uh, make sure that the artist was um the artist was good to go on stage Oh, it wasn't Life Jennings. It was um, oh, what's his name? Jay Holiday was his name. Um, oh wow, that's a, that's old. That's like early two thousands, I think, something like that. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um. So, and I helped sell help sell tickets. So I did that for like, man, five seven years. Um, I was um helping sell and sell tickets, um, and helped throw showcases with other folks. Um, and then I just started throwing my own showcases. Um, and then I eventually um, started working at different festivals and um, became a creative director for a festival called the Start Festival. So it showcased emerging artists of all mediums. Um, I did that for a few years. Um, and then I got into managing. I managed three artists, Realize, um, advocates of truth which i'm still doing a little bit of work with right now um and uh gideon sun gala so these oh, wow. so you- are all from different age ranges um that i did over the last i think five five seven years that is pretty cool i mean uh, so you're very into the into the music business and, and that's something i I kind of talked to uh, another person, Alex Ross from Family Over Fame. I talked to him about that, and and I talked to him like one of the things that's kind of uh, kind of interesting to me personally is that like Halifax has a pretty cool in the Maritimes, of course, because again we can't compare ourselves to Toronto or to Vancouver or things or, or even Montreal or things like that. But in the Maritimes, it has a pretty good, uh, decent hip hop scene, R and B scene, and there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of urban music going around. Uh, however, the two biggest hip hop or urban artists are are white. <laughs> like that's something that is like I'm like, huh? That is kind of kind of interesting to me because usually when when you have a, a predominantly black community where urban music comes from, usually that's that's uh, it's a mainly black culture uh, art. But if you look at it in the Maritimes, the the biggest urbans are are white, and I'm like, huh, that that is that is kind of strange. So wh- why do you think that happens? Why? Because our stories are not told by us, and oh. there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to music industry, um, 
music industry standards and um, just like even having space um, for black artists to even showcase. There's no venues here. There's no venues for hip hop artists. Yeah, I, I, I seen that. And, and that's that's another thing. Like I. I saw this was a while ago, I think I don't know if they're still open. There was a Jamaican restaurant. I think they're still open. Uh, and this was when an LGBT club was there. Uh, I don't I think I don't remember the name of it at, at this point. Yeah, it's not it's not there anymore. Um, so the you're talking about. Um, oh, shoot. What is it? What was it called? It, it was, was called Reflections. Reflections. It was the, the club. And then it turned to Jamaican restaurant. I think it was. Oh, no, it was called um, Men's and Molly's. Men's and Molly's. Yes. Yeah. I did a quite a I did a quite a bit of shows there actually men's and Molly's yeah rest in peace men's and Molly's um yeah so then it became shoot I forget what it's called but now it's the den so it was the den and it was the Jamaican uh the Jamaican bar yeah and for me it was kind of interesting that people were upset that there was a Jamaican bar in in the LGBT and I'm like okay cool like I I understand the part that LGBTQ plus spaces need you know they, there's a need for that but there's also a need for black spaces too for people of color and, and multiculturalism so I, I was a little bit shocked about that I, I was like and and it collaborates with what you said there's no spaces for for people of color and multiculturalism. So I, I was a little bit, uh, and I think you might be right on the gatekeeping thing because I, I didn't understand why people were upset. I'm like, I was like, I would understand if it was just a regular bar, but this is, this is also a space that's needed as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think, well, not for me, but just like the understanding of Jamaican culture because my mom is from Kingston, Jamaica. Um is that, you know, they're not really comfortable or they weren't, especially my mom's growing up, but um, they weren't really comfortable with queer people, with gay people, you know? And that's a cultural thing. I mean, that, that that's something that it's, uh, it's more, and I tell these people because I'm from the Caribbean as well. I'm from the Dominican Republic. Okay. Uh, it, it has to do more with Christianism. That's what I tell people. It has to be more with church and things like that. Not necessarily the people itself. So you you are what you get raised into. Because we, even on this podcast, we say that racism, it's not, it's thought, it's learned. It's something that people learn. Like nobody's born racist. People learn to be racist. That's, that's how it works. And so when they tell you uh, that people that like another sex is bad when you're a little kid, uh, that's that's the the thing that the church promotes, right? Uh, and then it gets it, it gets part of it. So I, I think I un I understand that that particular part, uh, but I also understand like, uh, and funny that you said that. Uh, here I remember that when I used to go to the nightclubs, uh, all the black people were in the back, mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. Because they were playing like top 40 and, you know, they were playing all the stuff. And and most of the black people were in the back uh, because they were like students from Africa and stuff like that. So I was like, I can understand. And then when they opened this the this Afro club, they're like dancing. They're like yeah. doing moves and busting hands and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, like, well, like this is a this is a main difference because they, they feel comfortable in their space. Same in, in queer places. Like when you 
when you go to to LGBTQ plus bars, uh, yeah, they you got the drag shows and you got and you got people feeling comfortable. Whether it's if you make it like on a theater, and mm-hmm. it's changing now in Canada, but it's still you know it's still a, a process. But but I, I can see where people get comfortable. So so you're saying right now that there is no places like is there is no places for for people of color to showcase their music. So what's the alternative in, in this sort of things now that we're coming out of a pandemic, which we can actually get out. Absolutely. I mean, there's only one place, honestly, and that's the marquee, the marquee, the seahorse, um, the local, it's all one building, but three venues. That's the only thing. Yeah. The only place right now. And then there's outside, but I know that there's a lot of things that are about to open or starting to open, um so we'll see we'll see what we'll see what the the summer brings you know because a lot of things are happening outside there's a lot of um festivals coming up um vendors markets like I feel like a, a lot of things has been happening outside because of that reason yeah, if not, like I said, just let's get two speakers in the park and let's bust out music and then <laughs> people figure it out. So so when you're DJ, like you got it, you, you do this mixes and stuff like that. Like what what's the end goal like for you as a DJ when you play music? Do you do you want to tell a story? Do you want people to dance? Like what what do you what made you get into it? Like what what do you want people to get out of? Yeah, I'm sharing my culture, wanting people to dance um and really bringing i guess really bringing our music to our people cuz i feel like when when we're when we're going when I, well when i'm going to a place or I, I don't go to as much as i used to or barely nowadays but um when i was going out i didn't see much people like myself um playing my music especially um in queer spaces it would always be a white DJ, specifically male and white females. Um, yeah, hardly any queer um, or black DJs. So just being able to share my culture and have people dance. And it's almost like having a little dance party in my living room. Oh, wow. That, that, that's I get pretty to dance cool. As well. That's pretty cool. Uh, I, I I definitely understand that. And uh, you there's there's a documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it or, or if you had. It's called uh, Paris is Burning, which is a it's a very old documentary about the ballroom culture in New York City. And when I went to New York City, I kind of saw I saw the queer culture kind of like hence that because I used to deal with a lot of electronic. I still deal with a lot of electronic music. Right. So. But when I saw, like what you said, it resonated with me, like the the Latino Black queer culture, it's a totally different environment or or scenario than, than a white counterpart. Uh, and and they, the cool thing is that they're able to meet in, in a place, but it's, it's just like, it's just so different because you see, when you see people like RuPaul or you see like the ballroom things and you see that, that this comes from, uh, you know, and then you see other places that that's not like it's more like party techno type of environment. And Absolutely. and I could I could see where you, I could see where you covered with that, because I was like, I, I, I had to realize that by myself. I was like, what is going on here? Like, this is uh, 
this is this is two different universes and they're all in the same thing so so that's uh that, that's something that you that i hope you're able to do something this summer for sure i mean now that we can get out which brings me to another question like as an as an artist and somebody that's creative how was the pandemic for you like what how did you deal with that particularly yeah honestly it was hard it was hard but allow me to take some take some time to uh, build uh, Pineapple Express Media. Um, so Pineapple actually, um, you know, me and my business partner, um, Nivi Singh, shout out, shout out to y'all. Um, we basically sat down and wrote out, this is what we're going to do just before the pandemic hit. And then it's been a process of building that um, especially because they moved back to Brampton a few months after uh, we put this plan together and um, have been, you know, just building this from two different provinces, um, especially with, you know, I, I, um, I work in nine to five um, at the Nova Scotia Career Development Station. And then they, they're, they're a manager of a record label in, um, in Ontario. So trying to uh, build our business while both having a full-time job has been hard, but um, I feel like this is our year to actually have some things uh, come out. We're working on a few projects right now. Um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, um, we have a magazine, a digital to print magazine that we've been building over the last few years, um, just slowly. Um, seeing or um, excited to archive and celebrate um, African Nova Scotians. Um, and then we're working on a docu-series that we're going to be releasing um, next year. Oh, wow. So let's, let's go a little bit back. How did you meet your business partner? Like, how did that came about? Yeah. Um, so we were friends. We were dancing. We were dancing partners that turned into life partners, then turned into business partners, and we're we're just best friends. So just to just to put it in 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 plain, so you guys started dancing, then you became a couple, and then you started a business. Absolutely. We also DJ together as well. <laughs> Okay, so she it was, it was it, that person originally from uh, Ontario, or the you, yeah, you guys? From, they're from Ontario. Yep, they were living here um, in Halifax. Oh wow! So why the name? Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I hate that movie. I hate that really? movie. <laughs> it, it is so oh, huh. stupid, yo! Okay, it is okay. such a stupid movie. I'm like. <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, yo, this is stupid, but okay, I got this so many. So why the name Pineapple Express? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, because you know, pineapple, pineapple means friendship. And then, you know, we're both like sweet and rough, sweet sweet and rough around the edges. Um and like combining like how pineapple express the strain itself, how it's a hybrid. So the hybrid of our, our, our skills are combined makes us pineapple express. So it's not because of the movie or the, or, or the weed type, which is a weed type. I don't smoke weed, but they tell me that is a weed type. So it is, it is a weed strain. Yep. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I, I mean, I saw the movie years ago and I was like, 
what the fuck did I just see? I, I don't know what the hell did I just saw, but it, it is okay. It's a typical uh, dude, you know, one of those surfing dude, stoner dude movies <laughs> for sure. What, what, but hold on, hold on. Like, I seen Stoner Booby. Half Bake is a really funny movie. Like, Dave Chappelle is super funny, and it's a Stoner movie. It's like a Stoner movie. Uh, and it's and it's way low budget than Pineapple Express. But again, to each his own. I don't criticize it. I just like I thought it was like two hours or an hour and a half waste of my time. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but at least I can know the name. So I mean, you said that that is focused on 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 BIPOC, and so what what kind of articles and what kind of stories do you guys tell in that in this magazine? Yeah, so we got some features um, on local brands. Um, we also have some, um, what you call it? Um, I want to say like kind of like highlighting um, small mom and pop shops, um, some dancers. So like, you know, anything that makes up culture, music, art, fashion, um, uh, food, like all of that combined. And so it's like, it's, really culture-based um we we have a few articles out right now we actually have one on Kenny, uh family over fame like Kenny ross Kenny alex ross um we have one on bad publicity those are two the two ones that we have already um and we have one on bipoc art or by bipoc tattoo artists so it just basically like highlights them and lets people know about who they are so they they can uh, take a chance and see if they want to get a tattoo from them just because I feel like when we talk about um, some of this stuff it's mainly white people are being highlighted so we need to highlight our people we need to highlight melanated people yeah I, I definitely agree especially when you know again uh, this is another subject that I had to learn because I, I have no tattoos I never done a tattoo, but I I had I had tattoo artists that were friends of mine, and one guy just got me to a tattoo expo, which I didn't know they had those. So I went to those, and one of the complaints was that they they didn't have enough black tattoo artists in the expos. And and when you look at the art, because of the color of the skin and because of the change, it's it's a different type of art. It's a different type of skill all entirely which i i didn't know i had to learn that and i'm like oh wow even in even in this shit there's racism like i didn't understand that this this was part of it so that's that's kind of cool that you guys are focusing on that so what what's the end goal like what do you guys hope to portray in this and and what where do you guys see yourself with with this project uh with the magazine or with the other stuff that we got going on as well you talk about the we'll, we'll start me? We'll start with the magazine first. Yeah, so the magazine specifically is to, um, you know, reach the the world. Honestly, like we want people to know what's happening in Nova Scotia. I feel like nobody really knows what's happening unless they're here. So we want to reach festivals. We want to reach um, urban buyers. Um, we want to. We want to reach. Um, um, record labels like we want to reach those people that are looking for talent here in Nova Scotia oh wow that that's pretty cool and and how long have you guys been doing the magazine itself like how many how it started in the pandemic so 2020 2019 
2020. Yep. 2020. So um, we kind of have like a little bit of a hiatus because we're trying to figure out um, how we wanted to do the magazine. So we're starting it off um, online and then eventually going to um, print it. We're hoping oh, that's, that's that either cool. in the fall or in the spring of next year. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I definitely would look forward to that. So you you seem like a pretty busy person. Like you 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 work a nine to five. Uh, you have your DJ, so you you do shows. You you do magazines. Like, how do you find the time, and, and how do you keep priorities? If, like the nine to five. Let's let's take that because again, you get the check, you gotta go. There's a yeah. schedule in that, so that's that's not even relevant. So the other stuff, like how do you find the time, or or how do you what motivates you to do all of these stuff? Um, the love, the passion. Um, yeah, I mean, I just like doing, I just like doing these things. I feel like it motivates me to create. It motivates me to be around creative people. It also gives me opportunity to meet industry people in everything that I do. I feel like because two weeks ago, I just got finished doing um, the Emerging Lens Cultural Film Festival. So like I'm a talent scout um, for that film festival and uh, we showcase local um, and national films. So just, just being a part of uh, these things motivates me to to just continue going it's just the love of it yeah I, I definitely i definitely see that you're very passionate about about those things so uh just to give it parenthesis here because you said you grew up with a, your mother's jamaican and your dad's from from halifax as well my dad's from guysborough county okay which i'm, I'm not sure where that is but if you explain us where that is and, and how is that like yeah yeah so I feel like there's two ways to um, go to the ends of Nova Scotia. So you're either going to Yarmouth or you're going to Cape Breton. So if you're going to Cape Breton, there's like a fork in the road. You're either going to Cape Breton or you're going to Guysboro. Wow. That that sounds far because Cape Breton is like seven hours away from here. Oh, it's yeah. It's four hours away from 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 where I'm at in Dartmouth. So. So your dad grew up on is that like countryside? So it's it is countryside, yeah. Oh wow! So that's that was it. So you, I'm assuming you're you still have family there, or is it like everybody just said, "Let's get the hell out of here"? No, we still have some family there. I believe one of my dad's brothers still live there, um, but I one of my cousins actually she lives down there, and she's she's around my age. So um, she's the only one that I know of that's around my age that's living down there, um, but. Yeah, I, I, I didn't I didn't live I didn't grow up down there or anything like that. I'm a city girl. Yeah, I, I can see that. So how was that growing up with with a Jamaican mother? Because, again, I, I've been to Jamaica uh, and the culture there, it, it, it's quite interesting, <laughs> especially in Kingston, because that's a big city. Right. That's that's where everything happens. So so how was that growing up like in, in a Jamaican half Jamaican family? Yeah, I mean. I always have pride uh, being Jamaican. Um, you know, my mom is a really hardworking uh, lady. Um, and, you know, she goes for what she wants. Um, 
and you know she doesn't take no shit from nobody um yeah I I I I guess I didn't really think of it growing up as a kid I never really thought too much of it because my mom she came to Canada when she was 10 so she didn't really speak I, I didn't feel like she spoke patois around us so we never grew up with that. She only spoke it when she was around my grandma or some or other Jamaican people. So I didn't I didn't really I didn't really see anything about that. The 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 the, the best thing out of it though was is the Jamaican food. Yes, Jamaican food is amazing. It, and knowing it's how definitely to, amazing. And knowing how to make that my own self now. Oh my god, no wonder. Oh my god, that is amazing. Like don't get me wrong. I'm I'm a rice and beans dude. Sorry. It, it's delicious. Right. I, right. I, 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 I don't care what people say. So, okay. So I just want to make sure like, cause I think the interesting part about you is that you, you kind of find yourself in, in these holes of, of creativity and arts and things like that. Uh, do you see that as like, is that something that you want to do full time or is it something that uh, like you're, you also work in a, a, you know, in a kind of like a government job. So, do you see not really. value on those two things? Is it not really? So it's no. like a. We just we're just funded by the government. We don't work. We're not. It's not a government job. Oh, oh wow! It 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 sounds government like though. <laughs> so where do you see yourself in the next five years? Do you think you want to pursue like the the media and the arts full time, or is it something else that that kind of motivates you? No, absolutely. We'll definitely be, um, you know, working for myself, um, doing art projects, doing media projects. Like, you know, this is this is my second my second attempt of working for myself. I feel like um, I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to work for myself, um, and just yeah, I feel like I'll be more I'll be able to focus more on my creativity if I'm working for myself because trying to do a nine to five and doing this creative world is it's it kind of it's kind of hard it, it is because you gotta you know there's one thing working for yourself it takes a lot of courage and it's a uh, you know, it's, it's hard at the start of the beginning. The beginning is always hard, right? Like that's, that's the thing, like where you, because you have to find out and, and solve problems, right? Like, where am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? And you're all by yourself. So that I can definitely see that. So, and as other people, like, like I said, we, we both uh, spoke to Alex Cooley Ross. I spoke to other people, other businesses, but what do you think it's the hardest part uh, being a BIPOC uh, business person or business owner or entrepreneur or even in Black media, which there's not even a lot here in Canada. Like, what do you think is the hardest part? The hardest part, honestly, um, I guess be before all this George Floyd stuff was like getting access to grants, getting access to, I, I, I want to say partnerships, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that that really fits for me because I felt like it was easy for me to get community partnerships. But like if it was like corporate or like, you know, um, more like, I guess, Eurocentric fied, um, it's really hard to to um, access those because you're not speaking their language. 
Um, and, you know, some of it is community because not all community supports you as well. I feel like you're putting things on for community and like, I don't know, I feel like community want to be the first ones to do this, the first ones to do that rather than working together. I feel like that's kind of like a challenge. So and that's pretty interesting. So you are in a in a place in Atlantic Canada has the the biggest uh, African Canadian community in Atlantic Canada, probably the most black population in Atlantic Canada. Uh, most of the black organizations that provide funding in Atlantic Canada are in Halifax and Nova Scotia, and it's still hard. Yeah, absolutely, because we are underfunded. I feel like we only because of George Floyd and all the other incidents happening after that, that now we're kind of getting pity money, um, which we're able to get access to that. But still, I feel like there's still gatekeeping in a sense. And how do you feel that gatekeeping is reflected? Like, like, can you give an example of how how that is reflected in, in your particular case? Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know. I guess with withholding resources, not sharing resources, um, you know, not sharing opportunities, not like you know sharing a pot, pot of the, pot of the gold or pot of the money, um, working with specific people to allow you to get to a certain place and not bringing other people with you. I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of what gatekeeping looks like for me. Well, and and that's kind of that's kind of interesting because it for all people of color, what I have learned, it's different, right? It happens in different stages and sizes. Like for for example, for me, how it happened here is that I was trying to get into a project, and they were sending me to the multicultural association that had nothing to do with it, and you went to all of these different places. And there was two things that were in common. One, I was the only black guy. Like there was, everybody was white. Take it. And the second thing is that they all sending me to the same place when they're like, I'm like, this has nothing to do with it, which I already went to that place. So, so it's kind of funny that you said that they, the money's not shared equally, mm-hmm. uh, that the money, that the, the financial part is not shared equally. Cause uh, I do see, and for me, it, it's, it's actually kind of, you know, it baffles my mind that I do see a lot of entrepreneurship and stuff in, in Nova Scotia, but what you don't see is a lot of black people shining. And there's a lot of them uh, mm-hmm. doing stuff, but it's, it's kind of like behind it. I would say it's like, sometimes it's like even a second to t- tier three level. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, don't get on the news. We, we get, if it's not something that's like a shooting or like BIPOC rights or, or things like that, we, they'll get any media coverage, right? Uh, but if somebody invents, I don't know, a, a stick that flips backwards, they're like, oh, this is an inventor from Nova Scotia. Like, for example, yeah. I see the Jeopardy, the Jeopardy girl, I, shout out to her. I mean, that's that's great that she is earning this money. And it's, but I'm like, as much as I think it's cool, it's a game show. Right, <laughs> right. Like, like it's a, it's a game show and this, this person is getting coverage every day. Like, Mm-hmm. every day of the week and i'm like whoa this is this is a bit strange is there's nothing else is happening in 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 our neck of the woods and and then i see like and then because i i focus this is a black podcast i focus on this this is what i try to verify what other 
people of color are doing, I see that there's a lot going on. Like there's people like Tribe, there's there's people like you, there's people like there, there's a lot of people doing stuff, but they don't even get that kind of coverage. And I'm like, so there's a lot going on, but the girl on Jeopardy gets yep. the headline. Yep, there's a lot of microaggression. There's a lot of, you know, if if we're not telling our stories, then someone is telling our stories and uh like they're they're telling our stories but not in a sense to make us look good you know they're always trying to make us look bad like look at lindell wigginton he's in the nba right now he's from north preston like why isn't there nothing about him in our in the local news i don't like they they don't want to see us or celebrate us and that's why i feel like it's important for us to have our own have our own medias. That's crazy because even I didn't know that there was a Nova Scotian in the, in the NBA. Yeah, that, that is what 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 team does he play? Oh, um, I would have to. We'll Google, Google it. Yeah, yeah we'll, 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 we'll we'll Google Google Lindell, and I'm and I'm pretty sure it will appear. But that's you know, but I I do agree on you on that. I mean, like in my opinion i think we get the breadcrumbs like i know people are trying and and again don't, don't get me wrong i know some people we have allies the people that are trying uh to get but i feel like there's a guy in the nba like which is i didn't know i never seen it on 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 a mainstream media platform in canada <laughs> like it's it's something that we don't see but if if it's not either if it's not something that's happening in the us which I don't know. I never understood that. I'm like, wait a minute. Why don't we focus on what's here? Like we live in Canada. Like I get it. The U S is close to us, but if it, if somebody from Canada doesn't transcend in the U S we would never hear from them mm -hmm. uh, like nationwide. But also the other thing that I see is that uh, unless something like George Floyd or things like that happen, a lot of people don't pay attention to something that has been happening for years and years and years and years and decades. Right. So yeah. and now I'm now I'm feel like we get like the crumbs. Like it's like, oh, okay, uh, you're black, you're doing something, let's let's put you somewhere, but we're not gonna give you a full show. We'll give you 10 seconds, right? Or or 30 mm -hmm. seconds. And the other 60, you know, the other 59 minutes of whatever whatever program or the other 20 pages, we'll put it on stuff that you know it appeals to the mainstream white person. So yeah. that that's pretty that that's pretty that's pretty accurate with what you're saying so so thank you for saying that i i i feel like it's something that a lot of people should be aware of. and and what what do you think it's a, um, something else that people should be aware of that happens to entrepreneurs like yourself and and creative people like yourself sorry what was the question like what do you think other things that you think people should be aware of that happens to people of color like entrepreneurs like yourself yeah i mean like there's a lot of vendor vendor markets coming up. There's a lot of um, youth with um, products that they're selling, especially from Hope Blooms. Um, um, events, there's always events coming up. I know that there's an event coming up next week. There's two events, actually. There's um, Shad, that's, he's a, a rapper from Toronto that's going to be at the Marquee. They have two female artists, um, Lavender and um, General Khan, opening up uh, for that show with Ghetto Socks. Um, and then 
um, Advocates of Truth, they're having their own event um, on that Saturday um, where it's called the um, Afro, Afro Experience. They're having it at the Loft. So like, there's a lot of events that happens here in uh, the city, but nobody really knows about it because you only see it on social media. Yeah, I agree. And and just to let people know who are listening, uh, Lindell Wellington plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, which they're actually in the playoffs. So yes, yes. See, I don't, I don't, I don't watch sports. I'd rather play than watch. So yeah, I, I don't that. watch that much. I don't watch that much sports either. So that that's something that that's pretty cool to know. So uh, just to you know, I have two more questions for you before I let you go. Like the first one is, what does it feel to be black in the Maritimes? Hmm. What does it feel? Ah, that's a hard one. Um, I guess black excellence, black history. We have rich history, black history here in uh, Nova Scotia. So I feel, I feel like a proud, I feel like a proud um, African Nova Scotian and Jamaican. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And if people want to find your things, uh, the stuff that you're doing, where do they go to? Yeah. Um, so we have a website. So if you go to www.pineappleexpressmedia.com, you can go to our website um, or our, on our socials, PE Media 902, I believe, PE Media 902. Actually, I think we cut off the 902 because we also are registered in Ontario. So just PE Media on Facebook, wow, that's Instagram, pretty- Twitter, um, Spotify. We actually just released um, uh, our monthly um, playlist. So check it out. 902 Express and 4106, 416 Express. Oh, wow, that's for me. So, uh, Kayla, again, thank you for this. Uh, I really learned a lot from you and keep doing what you're doing. It's pretty interesting. I'll I'll definitely be watching and uh, hopefully everybody that listens to this will be watching what you're doing as well. Uh, so thank you for that. So, guys, uh, please subscribe to Black in the Maritimes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, blackinthemaritimes.com. Don't forget to donate on PayPal. And like and subscribe and follow us on social media at Black in the Maritimes. Peace out. I appreciate it. Peace.